Thank you for listening to the Reformation Bible Church podcast. We hope you are edified and encouraged by our ministry as you listen to our Gospel and Evangelism sermon series. For more sermons and resources, please visit the RBC website at www.rbcbakershield.org. Thank you once again, and may the Lord bless you. Father, thank you for your grace and for your mercy. Thank you for the, the privilege that you've given us tonight to come and to listen to your word. I pray, God, we pray that we are challenged by your word tonight as it goes forth. We've been challenged so far in these past five weeks of understanding the gospel and understanding how to appropriately communicate the gospel. Help us tonight, God, to understand the the purpose of evangelism. And we pray, God, that we would be challenged to not just hear, but to obey. I decrease that you may increase, become less, so that you can become more. I pray that you would move me out of the way tonight and that you would be glorified in all that we do and say. For the name of Christ and for the glory of God, we pray. Amen. So this is the the sixth teaching in this series on the gospel and evangelism. And so far, we've been we've been preparing or working on a children's church. You guys can go. We've been working on a a running understanding of the gospel or a working understanding of the gospel. The notes will be online. But as I was kind of sitting down and and going through our working understanding of what we've learned so far, there's a few changes that I've made to it. And hopefully as I go through it this or this evening, you can hear what those changes are. So so far, we've learned God is holy. This is the gospel. He is the creator of the universe, and he is the judge of all creation. Man was created in God's image, made perfect. God gave a command to expand his glory, worship him, and obey him. Man rebelled and disobeyed God's command, bringing death to all humanity. We have become depraved in our minds, our wills, and our desires. Because of sin, we have become separated from holy God, and his wrath is upon us because of sin. But thanks be to God, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, Jesus was fully man, and faced every temptation, yet did not sin, but perfectly obeyed the law of God. That's a new part. Jesus was fully God, and displayed this truth in his words, in miracles, forgiveness of sins, and ultimately by rising from the dead. Jesus died in the place of those who deserve punishment, becoming a substitute for them, Taking on the punishment that they deserve, Jesus rose from the dead and final, Jesus rose from the dead, finally conquering sin, death, and the grave. Here's some of the other changes. And if you repent of your sins, you will be saved. You must see that you are a sinner in need of a savior and you must turn from your sins and turn to Christ alone for your salvation. You must place your faith or trust in the perfect life and sacrificial death of Christ on your behalf to be saved. You must trust that you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and there is nothing that you can do to save yourself apart from Christ alone. If you repent and place your faith in Christ, you will be saved. Do you hear some of the changes? This is the good news of the gospel. This is the saving good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the best news that you and I could ever hear or ever receive. Now, now that you've been given this life-changing good news... Now that hopefully you've understood how to, I guess, more systematically explain the gospel, here's the next question that I have for you. What do you do with it? What do you do next? The obvious, uh, the answer to this is probably obvious. When we have received this life-changing news, the most obvious thing that we must do, 
not should do, must do, is pass it on. When we receive this life-changing news, the, the most obvious thing that we must do is pass it on. We have clearly defined the gospel, and now tonight, and for the next maybe six or seven weeks, we're going to begin to look at what it means to spread the good news of the gospel. Evangelism. Evangelism is the term that we will be using, or the, the, the term that the Bible uses, for spreading the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Evangelism comes from the Greek word evangelion. It, it literally means gospeling. Evangelion, it literally means gospeling. When we are, when we evangelize, we are gospeling. We are spreading the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now I'd like you to think about this for a moment. Why evangelism? Why evangelism? Think about that for just a moment because it's something that if you've grown up in church or if you've come to the church, or even if you've not been a part of the church, you've always seen or heard of or been raised with people evangelizing. Amen? Whether you were saved and you would see people going out and evangelize or not saved, you would see people going out and doing something about their, uh, with their church, going out and doing some kind of talking to people. You didn't know what it was. Now you know it's evangelism. The question I have for you is why? Why evangelize? Why should we evangelize? Here's a better question, uh, maybe equally good question. What's the ultimate goal for evangelism? What do you hope to accomplish in evangelism? What's, what's your goal? What's your motivation? These are questions if you're taking notes you should write down. What's your motivation for evangelism? What do you hope to accomplish when you are evangelizing or you are gospeling? What do you hope to accomplish? You may be thinking... Why would you even ask that question? Why does it matter what my motivation is? I'm evangelizing. I'm spreading the gospel. What, who cares about goals? Who cares about motivations? If evangelism is done, what does it matter that, that our goals are, right? What, what do our goals matter as long as we're still evangelizing? But I believe our motivations and goals are extremely important when we evangelize. If Think about this. If your goal for evangelism or when you're evangelizing is to simply show off your superior knowledge, does your motivation for evangelism matter now? Or think about this. What if your purpose for evangelism is just wanting to win arguments and demolishing people in debates? That, that, that gets you excited, that gets you pumped up, that gets your juices going. You want to debate, you want to win, you want that person uh, having their head down when you walk away because you just destroyed all of their worldviews and they know nothing. I think m your motivation for evangelism matters now, doesn't it? Or what if your goal was to give off the impression that you are a really caring person, that you're a really spiritual person, and you're doing the, the caring and you're, you're, you're displaying some kind of spirituality just so that people can notice how caring and spiritual you, you are. But when no one's around, you could care less. Would your uh, motivation for evangelism matter then? Of course it would. Of course it does. And all of those motivations would be wrong. They would be sinful. And I say those things because, sadly, into my shame, I've done those things. 
I've been those, I've been each of those different people. And so have you. And so have you. I have wanted to be seen. I have wanted to win arguments. I have boasted in superior, of superior knowledge. And each time, here's what came from that. Nothing. Not that I know of, or not, not that I could remember, or, or maybe not that I've seen, maybe the Lord has done something that I can't see. But what I saw at, at the end result of each of those times where it was about me, was that there was no fruit produced. That it was about my glory and not God's glory. So what should our motivations be when we are sharing the gospel or when we are evangelizing? According to the Bible, there are three Three main motivations for evangelism. Number one, we should be motivated. Why? Because we want to obey. So number one, why evangelism? Because we are motivated by obedience. When we speak of evangelism, it is important for us to understand that we are not speaking of an idea that we behind the pulpit, us, we, that we have come up with on our own and we are now imposing on the people who attend churches. Evangelism did not come from the minds of the pulpit. Evangelism came from the heart of God. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. You can turn there if you'd like. Go, actually turn there. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Christ himself gives the command for his followers to go into all the world and preach the gospel to evangelize the world. The command is not given from the pulpit. The command is given from Christ, and we at the pulpit uh, pass on his command. And that's what should motivate us to evangelism, that Christ commands it. And if Christ commands it, it should not matter about anything else, what we feel, what we think. Christ commands it, so we obey it. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. The command to evangelism is just as commanded by Christ as the command to love your neighbor. Did you hear that? The command for us to go and to make disciples and to preach and to baptize and to teach all that Christ has obeyed is just as a command as much as love your neighbor as you love yourself. There's, there's not all, well, the love of your neighbor is greater than the make disciples. No, they are equally the commands of Christ. Sadly, and, and just so that you know, the best way to love your neighbor is evangelism. The best way to show love to your lost neighbor, to your unsaved neighbor, the neighbor who does not know the gospel, is to give them the gospel. That's the best way that you could love your neighbor as you love yourself, which we'll get to in just a moment. But sadly, many church members... Believers, they believe that evangelism is to be left for those who are gifted to speak. Have you ever felt that way? Maybe I shouldn't be speaking because I'm not as gifted as so-and-so in speaking. Maybe I should just stay in the background and say nothing. That it's for those who have been given the spiritual gift of evangelism. Leave it to the professionals. I'll just attend Bible study and I'll just keep going to church. But the evangelism thing, I'll leave it for the professionals. That is not biblical. That is not a biblical way of thinking about evangelism at all. There are those who even believe that the command from Christ to his disciples is not applicable for today, that the great commission was only given to the apostles, and therefore it does not apply to us here today. 
Well, if that's true, then the Great Commission and all of the commands of Christ, there are some things that, that we should really question if that's true. Meaning this, it is true that the Great Commission was given to the apostles, but it was not meant only for the apostles. Amen. Think about this. The command that the disciples were given, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then also what? Teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. This is the command that Christ has given his disciples. Now think about this. Is the command to make disciples a part of the teachings, apart from the teachings that were given to the apostles, to teach others to obey? Now that sounds weird, but let me explain it. When Jesus said, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded, was he meaning except for going and making disciples. Does that make sense? Let me clarify again. When Jesus says, go, make disciples, baptize, teach, all that I have commanded, teach them to obey, except for the go and make disciples part. So he's saying, go. And everything that I've taught you, keep teaching, except for the go and make disciples. Is that true? No. So going and making disciples is a part of what Jesus has taught for them to keep teaching. Does that make sense? Of course it does. The command to go and evangel, make disciples, baptize and teach was given to his disciples. All of his disciples. You and me. And think about this. If we attempt to limit who Jesus was speaking to in that particular instance, then we might as well also leave off the part where he says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Because if making disciples doesn't apply to you, but only to the disciples, then neither, it, neither does I am with you even to the end of the age to apply to you, only, only to the, the disciples. Does that make sense? Christ has commanded all those who are his, all of his followers, all of his sheep, to be witnesses for his name's sake. This is one of the reasons why you have been given the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is a command that Christ gave to his followers, that you would be witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and to all the ends of the earth. John Stott says, we can no more restrict the command to witness than we can restrict the promise of the Holy Spirit. Meaning we have been given the Holy Spirit for the purpose of being a witness. We are clearly called to be witnesses for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And upon hearing the five, the past five weeks of the gospel, you should know that you should not just have a, a grasp of the gospel, but that you should be willing to go and release that gospel now to those who have not yet heard it. So you don't just say, I've got it, and now I got it. You get it, and then you go and get it. Those five weeks were intended for you to be equipped to give the gospel. How many, just, just by a show of hand, how many of you in the past five weeks have shared the gospel with someone and you felt like you've done it in a more clear good praise god praise god 
That's what that was meant for. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.18, all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave, the, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says that you have been entrusted with the good news. This ministry, this news of reconciliation, that Christ has reconciled sinful man to God. And we, therefore, are representatives or ambassadors for that message. And we take that message to unbelievers, to the world, on behalf of Christ. That's what you're called to do. Amen. This is a command of God. God makes his appeal through secondary means. You and I. We are used by God to proclaim the message. And through that message, God changes hearts. It's going to be like we will see on Sunday. That we have been given faith to roll away the stone. Preach the gospel. And God has the work of raising people from the dead. Our work is roll away the stone. God's work is raising people from the dead. That's what we do. You may think, but I'm not special. I can't speak well. I'm not gifted. Uh, I can't make great defenses for the gospel like someone else can. I need to know more about other religions. No, you don't. No, you don't. And I'm not against apologetics. I'm for apologetics. But apologetics is not the gospel. The gospel is the gospel. You don't need to know more about Mormonism. You don't need to know more about Jehovah's Witness. You need to know more about the gospel. Because when you understand the gospel, every single one of their beliefs will come crashing down. Because it's by faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone. And all those other ones will be able to, but they will be exposed because they are all works-based salvations. So know your gospel. And then when you know your gospel, you'll be able to say, that's not true, Mormon, or that's not true, Muslim. It is through faith in Christ alone. So know your gospel. And each believer, or in, in Acts chapter 8, after the stoning of Stephen, of Stephen, the believers, they began to scatter because they were facing great persecution. Now listen to this. As each believer went to wherever God was leading them, they didn't stay silent about their faith. The Bible says in Acts chapter 8, verse 4, now those who were scattered went about evangelizing or preaching the, the word. Think about that. We learned that the apostles, they stayed in Jerusalem. They were the, the so-called extraordinary believers. But they had obviously obeyed the word of Christ. They taught, they baptized, and they discipled these ordinary believers in such a way that when they scatter, they take the gospel with them. And the gospel begins to spread beyond Jerusalem. The gospel begins to spread beyond Judea. And the gospel begins to spread beyond Samaria. These were ordinary believers, just like you and I. They, they probably had jobs. They had families. They lived in communities. And their hearts were so captured by Christ that they could not help but be a witness in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, into the very ends of the world, all the way to Bakersfield. You realize that you're a product of someone's evangelism. 
Think about that. That which started right there in Jerusalem has made its way to this small little valley. Because someone obeyed the commission. What if they did not obey? We believe that God would eventually have saved you. But think about it, how long it would have taken. Think about that, that you're here because someone obeyed the Great Commission. Think about how long that line of generations goes that the person who shared the gospel with you, who shared the gospel with them and who shared the gospel with them. And who shared the gospel with them? And you might be able to trace it all the way back to people scattering in the book of Acts. And how this gospel reaches all the way to you, wherever you were. The Bible says that everyone who has been given much of him, much will be required. We have been given no greater gift than the gospel and faith to believe in Christ alone. And this good news has been entrusted to us and we are to be good stewards of this good news. And we are commanded to share it with others. So we must, not should, should is a suggestion, must is a command. We must obey the command of Christ. Make disciples, teach, baptize, all in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Number two, why evangelism? What motivates us? Number two, love for the lost. Are you motivated for love or by love for those who have not yet believed? When you go out to share the gospel, are you looking at all of these unbelievers? Or are you looking with eyes of intimidation like they're not going to listen to me and I don't know what I'm going to say? Are you motivated to love unbelievers who have not yet heard the gospel? Are you motivated to love them enough? To give them the gospel. Or are you motivated to, to embarrass those who have not yet believed? Are you motivated to make those who have not yet believed feel like they are okay? Even though they have not believed because you want to feel accepted by them. Are you motivated by love for yourself rather than love for the lost? We are all aware of the motivation behind God sending his son. It was so that the Father and the Son could be glorified, John 17. And John 3.16 tells us that it was out of love for the world that God sends His Son. If God saves because of love, then we should be motivated for sharing the good news, or more motivated to share the good news out of love. We are products of the saving love of God. And why would we not go out with the same love that God has given us and give to other people? Do you love people? Do you care about people? That's a really good question that you should ponder tonight. Do you care? Does it even matter to you? And if it doesn't matter to you, even as I ask you the question, do you care? And if it doesn't matter, and if there's nothing in your heart that says, yes, I do care, yes, I am really concerned, then you, maybe you should go back and hear lesson one of the gospel and start all over again and say, and then after it's all done, now God, give me a heart for the lost. In John chapter four, I'd like you to think about this. I was thinking about this as I prepared. John chapter four, Jesus has an encounter with an outcast. It's a woman. 
It's a Samaritan woman. Samaritans were the lowest of the low in the eyes of the Jews. Think about this, though. Not only that, she was not only a Samaritan, but she was an adulterous woman. She had been married five times and was currently living with a man who was not her husband. And not only that, but she goes and draws water in the middle of the day. Everything about this scene is wrong. Women do not draw water in the middle of the day. They drew water in the evening. And women did not draw water alone. They drew water together with other women. Which leads us to conclude that this woman was not only an outcasted Samaritan of the Jews, but she was an outcasted Samaritan of the Samaritans. Are you getting the picture of this woman? She drew water when none of the other ladies would be there because none of the other ladies wanted to be seen with her. And she drew water alone because no one would go with her. Enter Jesus. Jesus, before this whole encounter happened, he says, I must go through Samaria. Jesus never did anything randomly. It was always intentional. Jesus tells his disciples, we are going to cut through Samaria. His disciples also hated anything to do, any Samaritans and anything to do with Samaria. Why are we going through Samaria? And then Jesus tells his disciples while he, they sit there, go get something to eat. All of you. Why? Because he was preparing to love an outcasted person. In a way that nobody had ever loved. And when she approaches him, he does not say, hey, you ever read Leviticus chapter 18. I think there's a lot of things that could apply to you in that chapter. Or rather, he says to her, do you mind if I have a drink? A very normal setting. Nothing out of the ordinary. It was out of out of the ordinary that she was talking to a Jewish man. She says to him, hey, don't you know who I am and don't you know who you are? And through their conversation, they go back and forth on worship. And she finally says to him, the world, the Messiah will explain all these things. And Jesus tells that outcasted woman. Yes. I who speak to you am he. And he begins to share with her. Essentially. The gospel. How to be saved. And this woman so taken by this, this, this man who, who told her everything she'd ever done, goes back to her village and says, could this be? Christ disciple or, or, or evangelizes her, and then she evangelizes her whole community. And then they come back. And here's what Jesus says to his disciples. After all of this is said and done, John 4.35, he tells, he tells them this. Now think about the whole scene, and then he tells them this. Lift up your eyes. And see that the fields are white for harvest. Think about that. His disciples don't understand. What are you doing with her? Why are you talking to her? What is this all about? And Jesus' response to them after seeing a whole community come. And we believe that many of them came to faith. Here's his response to them after all of this scene. Listen, open your eyes. Open your eyes. Stop looking at the person and seeing all of the external things that you don't like about them. Open your eyes. Stop looking at the person and seeing all the things that intimidate you about them. Open your eyes. 
They are in need of the gospel. This outcast is just as in need of the gospel as this person that you revere. And who are those two examples? Nicodemus, the revered one, who came to Jesus at night in John chapter 3. And the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, who was an outcast. And think about this. They're, they will meet each other. They have met each other in heaven. Because of the love of Christ. I can imagine the scene Nicodemus coming to the woman. Hey, how are you? Who are you down there? I was a Samaritan woman that had five husbands and was living with one man. And Jesus came and met me. And you can imagine Nicodemus. You're a Samaritan. Yes. What about you? I was a Pharisee. And they both needed Christ. And they both have a perfect relationship in heaven. Because of the love of Christ. Do you love people? Do you love people? Do you see people as, as being in need of Christ? And if you do not, then open your eyes. Stop letting your hang-ups prevent you from being used for the glory of God. Wouldn't you like to be involved in that story of, of two people meeting each other in heaven and saying it's because this, this, this little cute girl in, in Bakersfield, Martina, she shared the gospel with me. Me too, me too. Wouldn't you like to be involved in that? There are crowns of jewels that are laid up for those who are a part of the command of Christ to evangelize. Matthew 9.36 says that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Listen to Augustine 1,500 years ago. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now you love yourself suitably when you love God better than yourself. What then you aim at in yourself, you must aim at, listen, in your neighbor. Namely, that he may love God with a perfect affection. What you aim at in yourself, you must seek to aim at in your neighbor. And namely, or more specifically, loving God. And how will they, they, they hear about God if you don't share it with them? Do you, do you think that your neighbor has been placed by you by accident? We have three, two neighbors that we can't stand. And I'm asking God to give me the, the, the humility to be able to go up to that old lady who keeps telling on us for nothing um, about the love of Christ. First, I'll start with her sinfulness. Um, and then the, lo- then the love of Christ. But they're not, they're not there by accident. You're not living there by accident. The job you work in is not, there, is not given to you by accident. The places that you go through throughout the day. Try just going to a McDonald's and sitting there. Give it an hour and see who the Lord brings your way. Would you be open to that? Or, question, do you love people enough to even do that? You love yourself enough to go through the drive-thru and go right home. Do you love people enough to sit there for at least an hour and find out who God will bring? Are you challenged by that? You should be. He says, uh, Augustine, for you do not love him as yourself unless you try to draw him to that good which you yourself are pursuing. Amen. You were a beggar and God gave you bread. 
And you were a beggar living amongst other beggars. God showed you where food was. He led you and drew you to food. The bread of life he is. Why would you not go back to those other beggars that you rummaged around with and share with them where they also can find food? Are you motivated by love? And finally, what is, why evangelism? What, what are we motivated by? We are motivated by love for God. Listen to this quote from Mark Dever. Love for God is the only sufficient motive for evangelism. Self-love will give way to self-centeredness. Love for the lost will fail with those whom we cannot love. And when difficulties seem insurmountable, only a deep love for God will keep us following his way, declaring his gospel when human resources fail. Only our love for God and, more important, his love for us will keep us from the dangers which beset us. When the desire for popularity with me or for for success in human terms tempts to water down the gospel to make it palatable, then only if we love God will we stand fast by his trust and in his ways. If we love God, we will be motivated to see God glorified. Again, John 17 says that Jesus did all that he did. For the end result of God being glorified. That was what they were accomplishing. God being glorified. Again and again throughout Ezekiel we read the phrase that they will know that I am the Lord. Jesus taught that the actions of those who follow him will bring glory to his father. When we share the gospel, our motivation should be our love for God and for him to be glorified. Which happens when we declare truth about God. To those who have ears to hear and to those who have hearts to receive. Peter said in 1 Peter 2.12, Live such good lives amongst the pagans that they will, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Peter knew that the Christian life that bears witness to God and the gospel will be ground for God to be glorified on the last day. And this is a never-ending motive or motivation for us to evangelize. Do you love God? Do you want to see God glorified? Then share the gospel. Then share the truth that you have been saved by. One of the main ways that you can express that love for God is in sharing the gospel. And listen, don't wait for the marketplace. Don't wait for hungry and the homeless. Don't wait for the puppets in the park. Your everyday life should be lived in such a way that you are looking for and praying for opportunities to share the gospel. Every day you should be looking for opportunities to share the gospel. Now that is this. That's going back to my failure of only sharing the gospel or only wanting to be seen or only wanting to be seen as caring when we're going out as a group. Now, although that's encouraging for us to go out together as a group, your Christian life should be lived in such a way that you are an everyday evangelist, not a once a month evangelist. Why evangelism? Because God commanded. Why evangelism? Because we should be motivated by our love for people and our love for God. And if these areas are not so in your life, and I pray that you ask God to make them so. Let's pray. 
Our Lord and our God, we do thank you for your grace and for your mercy. Thank you for the gospel. And thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word. That it be a reality in our lives so much so that we live to obey it and to glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.